Barely Science Podcast. This is the Barely Science Podcast with the Barely Scientists, Ryan and Alec. And today we have a friend. Thank you for having me. So today we're joined by Rob, who is a mathematician, a PhD student here at um, the Australian National University. Yep. So we've diversified ourselves from <laughs> two astronomers at either ends of the spectrum to a mathematician sitting right in the middle. A barely mathematician. Yeah. So <laughs> well, the diversity has also gone down a little bit because we now have two Kiwis in, yeah. in one room. It's a bit scary. I'm feeling a bit outnumbered. Yeah, there's a lot of Kiwis around here. Yeah. Can, I, can I still it's make... Good. Speech impediment jokes, though, guys. Yeah, sure. Well, you're from Tasmania. You can barely talk. Just a double head. Hey, once a su- post-surgery, it's fine. I, that's yet to be proven. But there are some things in this world <laughs> which are not fine. Smooth, smooth segue. I'm into it. Yeah. So some things you might even consider to be out of this world <laughs> or even out of this solar system. Ooh. Ooh. So a while ago... On the 19th of October, something quite remarkable happened. We found the first object from outside of the solar system. Well, a bit of clarification. We have found things outside of this the solar system. Well, <laughs> this is an interloper, I should have said. Mm. So this is the first thing outside of the solar system that's come inside of the solar system and visited us. So this thing, when it was first announced... Uh, it was detected by uh, Robert Wirk using the Pan-STARRS telescope. Um, and there were, it was met with an awful lot of skepticism because you could imagine... Well, you can't imagine why they'd be skeptical of this. Uh, you're talking about uh, something, an asteroid, coming from somewhere else, a different star system, being flung out of that star system and paying us a visit. Now, I, I've seen the pictures of this thing because... Well, the artist's impressions. Of, it created a whole lot of media buzz. No, I've seen the, the actual original oh, thing yes, on the telescope yeah. too. And they, they're the, they themselves are kind of almost suspicious looking because it's, oh, yeah. it's an odd looking thing. Yeah. So why, why is it thought then that it's entered from outside of our solar system? So the main way you do this is it's a bit of detective work. So you take images of this object... And you reference it against uh, the distant background stars. And then you can, if you know the positions of those distant background stars, you can work out the position of your asteroid. So it's kind of like triangulation, but with taking different images and kind of patching it together. And they were able to work out its ephemeris, which is the path it takes around the sun. So things inside of our solar system have ephemerises which are either elliptical, mostly elliptical, where you take a circle and you squish it a little, or they're circular. And there's very few things that would have a circular ephemeris. But this thing had the third option. It had a hyperbolic ephemeris, which means... Oh, wait. We should defer to our mathematician friend. Yes, what yeah, does a right. hyperbolic orbit mean, Rob? Is, right. it, is that just an over-exaggerated orbit? <laughs> no, it's not an over-exaggerated orbit. It means it's non-periodic. So an elliptical orbit or a circular orbit will be periodic. So the object will go round and round and round. But yeah. a hyperbolic orbit falls in and then shoots straight back out. Yeah, that's exactly right. So this thing isn't attached to the sun at all. We know that it came from outside of the sun's sphere of influence because it had this hyperbolic orbit, which doesn't have a period, as Rob says. Um, but there was some controversy because people... Um, saw that if you took out one data point 
uh, in the early days at least, if you took out one data point that was observed with pan stars, you would have quite a nice elliptical orbit. Sure, mm. it was fairly inclined to the solar system, which means it's... Uh, so most of the planets and asteroids and stuff uh, orbit around the same plane, the ecliptic. Um, this thing had an inclination, but that's not too much of a problem. Um, but further observations just solidified the fact that this thing was outside of... or well, did have an origin outside of the solar system, which is pretty amazing. So it was traveling super quickly... Um, with when it was observed, it was traveling around twenty six point three kilometers per second. So, how does that compare to say a typical solar neighborhood orbit of like a planet? That's well, it's fast enough such that it can actually escape the solar mm. system. So, everything that has mass has a gravitational well associated with it. Uh, if we jumped really hard we'd be able to jump away from the Earth. Really we'd have, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Superman could do it, right? Mm. <laughs> so it has uh, a velocity which is quite a lot higher than everything else in the solar system, which means it can escape. Uh, the only other thing kind of in the solar system that has a velocity which could be comparable are the Voyager space probes, yeah. which are now on their way out of the solar system. Uh, right. So they too are on somewhat of a hyperbolic orbit, but it's a pretty screwed up one because yeah. you visit all the planets. Yeah. So, but they were intentionally given that kind of speed yeah. and shot out. But, right. So what is this thing? Why has it traveled into our neighborhood? That's, that's a pretty good question. Um, and it's one which people have uh, spent quite a bit of attention recently on. Um, so... It may be of no surprise, especially if you've been keeping up on the news on this, that there have been a few radio telescopes across the world that have pointed at this object. Mr. Radio Man's <laughs> nodding along there. Uh, using up the precious radio telescope time, trying to see if there might be some information uh, coming away from it. So some radio signals or something. Yeah, so I, I mentioned the weird shape before. So I saw I ended up seeing the Panstars image in this... and. You, most people people who've read the articles about this probably saw the artist's uh, conception of what this mm. object looks like too, which is this very strange, elongated, almost cylindrical-looking mm. object, like almost cigarette kind of shape. Yeah, you know, way longer than it is wide. Um, so the this is we've talked about this in a previous podcast, talking about um, breakthrough listen. Um, I think that was using some of the breakthrough listen time in order to try and see yeah. if we were getting signals. So. Um, Yuri, oh, I forget his last name, um, incredibly rich Russian billionaire who's mm. poured all his money into um, search for extra, extraterrestrial intelligence has bought up time on radio telescopes and so they're able to try and they yeah. use some of that time to point at this object to see if perhaps instead of just being a weird-shaped rock, it was actually a uh, interloping cool. interstellar spaceship. Yeah, so... The Breakthrough Listen um, project is yet to look at it, and they're going to be using the Green Bank telescopes. That's well, you know more about it. Yeah, so Green Bank is the world's largest fully steerable telescope. Well, <laughs> there's a bit of a debate as to which one's the largest because there's 
uh, a similar telescope in Germany, the Effelsberg telescope as well. Each of them are roughly 100 metres across. I think Green Bank comes to 101, which just puts it out a little bit. But this just is some a, sticks either side, yeah. right? <laughs> just to get the record. Yeah. So, yeah, this dish is in the, fully steerable, so it can point anywhere on the sky. Of course, there are biggest telescopes, things like Arecibo, um, which people may have seen in movies like um, Goldeneye. Mm. So uh, um, the bad guy, spo- spoiler alert, the bad guy gets blown up in, and squished by the receiver hut of Arecibo, <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, but Arecibo is <laughs> buried in the ground. It can't, it can't point. Whereas Green mm. Bank, despite being so huge, can point anywhere on the sky. Wow. And it's about the limit to how big you can build. Yeah. But because of that, it has the h- incredibly high resolution and also incredibly high sensitivity. So... Mm. They're really good at picking up any weak signals that might be coming from an object like this. Yeah. Um, so it's reasonable to... Well, it's not completely unfounded to think it might be a spacecraft because it does have a very weird shape. And they picked up on its weird shape from how the object uh, reflects light. So asteroids usually tumble. Uh, they, they won't just sit in space and move along. They'll tumble as they go about. And this tumbling means that different surfaces are reflecting light from the sun back at us. So this, uh, this asteroid had a very severe change in the reflected light back at us. It's albedo. And you can map that to a structure to this thing. And what you find is that it's tumbling not on any of its main axes. So it's not, say, tumbling end over end or... Um, circling around kind of the, the smaller axes. It's just kind of freely uh, messing about. And this kind of raises doubts that it's an active spaceship. So suppose you didn't see any signals coming from it. Sure, they might have some kind of signal cloaking. They might be talking on subspace like <laughs> everyone does in the future, apparently. Uh but the fact that it has no uh, directed motion and it's tumbling suggests that it's not an active spacecraft or they're in incognito mode. Yeah. Who knows? Those poor aliens would be pretty uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're having a bit of a debate about this um, amongst the astronomers at lunchtime about if the tumbling could actually be useful. And so we're mm. kind of thinking, well, if it was tumbling kind of end over end, which would be kind of, if you imagine this long cigar-shaped object, it would kind of be the worst option for everyone in terms mm. of if you wanted to live if you wanted to simulate gravity for example um that would mean that kind of spinning effect would mean that your artificial gravity would only be at the two end the two narrow thin ends mm. right and it's it's fairly small as well yeah. it's only 230 meters long and about 35 meters in radius or diameter rather so if you wanted to simulate any kind of Earth-like gravity or stronger, you would need to be spinning very quickly. <laughs> and as Alex says, the gravity would only be concentrated or be apparent at the two extreme ends of the long rotation. Um, and you know, if you're spinning over the, the more useful direction, like um, what are they called? Like in the end of uh, the Interstellar movie, yeah. where they're all inside that um, station. If it was doing something like that, it would need to be spinning extremely fast to, to maintain Earth-like gravity. So this, this spinning effect for spaceships has actually been around for a little while. Mm. I guess the first popular kind of uh, showing this in science fiction was in 2001, which Interstellar pays a lot of homage to. Yeah. And there's this opening scene where the guy is kind of going up in a space shuttle and he goes to this space hotel, mm. um, which is kind of like a big giant um, pinwheel-looking thing that's spinning around. 
and mm. it means that the simulated gravity effect is all around the the outs or sorry the outer ring but on the inside mm. um so that effect is due to the centripetal force now, often it gets misnomered as the centrifugal force because mm. it's similar to what happens in centrifuge but it's it's a bit different um although most of us experience it if you know driving in a car if you go around a corner rather quickly you'll feel like all of a sudden you're being pushed sideways someone's put on the gravity sideways um but it, as it turns out of course our experience isn't often the best reflection of what yeah. actually is going on that's right um so it comes down to uh, observation by our best friend and horrible person isaac newton uh, <laughs> who noticed that Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> he noticed that uh, objects want to keep going in straight lines, as in they want to keep moving in the direction that they're already moving. So mm. if it's stationary, it wants well, to stay stationary. Well, was that Newton or did Galileo first come up with those ideas and Newton mathematicalized them? I think that's probably more accurate, yeah. but of course Newton wanted to popularize his own ideas. Yeah, so. so he scrubbed everyone else from history. Yeah. Um, but regardless, he, he formalized it at least. Mm. Um, and so... The, imagine you're driving in a car, you inside your car and your car want to keep going in that same direction, same speed. Um, if you want to change direction, you need to push yourself around the corner. And so there's a force that has to be applied inwards, so towards the middle of whatever circle you're driving in. And that's that push you're feeling as if someone turned the gravity on sideways, but actually you're being pushed inwards. It's, mm. it's, it's almost quite, it's quite confusing when you first start dealing with it because the force is going in the opposite direction to the way you're feeling you're yeah. being pulled. Yep. Mm. You're actually being, the car's kind of whacking you around in the circle. Uh-huh. Mm. And that's the exact same thing would happen on you know, a space, a spinning space hotel is that you're being whacked towards the center of the hotel the whole time. Um, yeah. But it's, it simulates the effect of gravity. So instead of being whacked by the ground up, you're being whacked by a spaceship around in a circle. Yeah. Right. So, but you were saying that the, the rock was kind of, or well, rock in inverted commas yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was tumbling in a weird sort of way it wasn't in any uh, yeah so yeah. it was tumbling in a way that wasn't aligned with either of the axes so it was just messing around the place and it had a tumble period of about 8.1 hours okay so that's certainly not fast enough given its size to generate any uh, meaningful uh, apparent force of gravity if you're on the inside but we've been saying that this thing could be a spaceship but there are uh, physical explanations for it that aren't uh, dumping it on aliens. Uh, so it could be a contact binary that is kind of fused together. So um, asteroids might be self-gravitated towards each other. Um, then they might eventually kind of touch as they're self-gravitated. Um, but this idea is not uh, not particularly well accepted because of the rotation, although long eight hours, it's still considered fast enough that this contact binary might separate. So it's probably more likely, if it's a natural occurrence, um, that it's uh, been generated from some kind of cataclysmic event, some big ex- uh, explosion or something, some planetoids has smashed together and they've fired out this cylindrical um, asteroid. So it's, it's not beyond the realm of possibility of being made by nature. So we can't immediately jump to the conclusion that it's a derelict spaceship unfortunately are there simulations or anything to back that up um they're working on it i do believe so this so how long has it been it's been like october november just over a month or so now Mm. um i haven't delved into all the papers that have come out about this but there have been a lot of papers that have come out about it because this is 
this is kind of, well, before it was found, it was thought to be impossible. We'll just put it that way. Mm. Now oh, right. people are thinking, well, perhaps this is actually more regular than we'd ever anticipated. Maybe there are a number of these objects in the solar system at a given time, but we just haven't found them yet. Because we're only just entering an age of uh, optical astronomy where we can survey the sky at a sufficient rate that we can kind of cover every patch of sky every night. Right, so maybe we'll start seeing more of these things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So there's um, been a big announcement just today, in fact, or was it yesterday, um, that the release of the oh. SkyMapper data. So SkyMapper is a, a telescope that's run here at the ANU. Um, well, it's now situated up at Siding Springs Observatory hmm. um, with the... Its intention is to map the entire southern sky, and that that mission has now been complete for a full data well, release. Well, yeah, so they've, they've released their first data mm. set, but they'll still be going over yeah. the patches of sky to get uh, deeper looks into the southern hemisphere. Yeah. So as Alex says, first um, survey, digital survey of the southern sky. So it's a super cool project that's been going for like ongoing for around ten years here um, at the ANU. Uh, there's been a number of setbacks. We might talk <laughs> about that in a future podcast. That could be funny. But PanStars is kind of a northern equivalent to yeah. um, SkyMapper. And I guess and one of the other projects, I think that both of, both of them do, um, in, as well as making a, a static map, building up a total mm. catalogue of the whole sky, they're also, they do snapshots. So you can compare um, transient objects, the things mm. that appear or go pop or bang or that happen to fly through the solar system. So hopefully... Um, with further investigations of PanStars and SkyMapper. And then the future one's LSST, right? Yeah, the LSST is going to be based at Chile. Um, so it's going to be about an 8-metre-class telescope, I believe. And it's going to be absolutely outstanding, the amount of sky it can survey in a given night. And they're expecting, I think it's on the order of, like, millions of transients every year. And it's going to be... Absolutely crazy. A lot of them, or most of them, in fact, will be asteroids. And now the question becomes, how many of these asteroids are going to be extrasolar asteroids? So this first event um, may be one of many. And I haven't even said what it's called yet. I'm (laughs) terrible at this. So it's Oumuamua. Oumuamua. There we go. (laughs) God, uh, I I swapped the U and the A around in my head. Uh, so this is Hawaiian for scout. Hmm. So maybe it is an alien. They're just trying to tell us quietly. <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, is probably not an alien, or at least it's not an active alien. And there was a blog post um, that a professional astronomer did, Dr. Jason Wright, uh, where he kind of played around with the idea that this could be a derelict alien spaceship. And your trusty friends at Daily Mail, uh, credible as ever, <laughs> picked up on the story uh, with with the great headline of a strange tumbling motion of cigar-shaped interstellar comet, commas, uh, um, how do you say that word? God. Oumuamua. 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 I can't work that. <laughs> anyway, let's try that again. Let's try that again. Strange tumbling motion of cigar-shaped interstellar comet... Amuamua. Thank you. Suggests (laughs) it's an alien probe with broken engines, says leading astronomer. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, man. And then the article goes on to talk about uh, all all the stuff. Some of it's like, you know, observational stuff, which we've been talking about. 
Uh, but you know, it was, it was, it was clearly not intentional. But now it's kind of been strung as this guy from this credible university is saying that this is an alien spaceship. <laughs> so, what work did he actually do? To oh, he to just it, it was pretty much just a review of the science around it, saying like. Um, from the various other scientists that have put forward things and they've kind of com- he kind of compiled it together and says, you know what, a derelict alien spaceship would uh, not violate these things we have. So it's just he's just doing science, right? Yeah. He's putting forward an idea. It's kind of a playful idea. Um, and then uh, later on they call upon uh, Stephen Hawking's in- interest <laughs> in this as well. So if the great Stephen Hawking is uh, paying interest to it, then it, it must be real. Right? Well, it must be real. <laughs> Stephen so, Hawking, of course, is part of the Breakthrough Listen project. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's part of those big ears trying to hear the, the aliens. So, you know, if it's something yeah. outside the solar system, of course Breakthrough Listen's going to be looking at it. Yeah. So, you know... It's not like we should need to tell our listeners to take the Daily Mail with a grain of salt, but... um. You I should mean, probably take the Daily Mail with a grain of salt. <laughs> or two, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I like the Daily Mail because it's a source of good content for mm. this show. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the science behind... Mm. Um, uh, Amuamua, is that how you say it? Well done, yeah, that's oh, right. I got it, good. <laughs> uh, that's, that's science. I think we'll go around the table and agree that this is science. Yes? Yes. yes. Yeah. Good. We're giving in our ra- ah, so Rob, you're new to our show, of uh-huh. course. So uh-huh. uh, when we cover a topic, we like to give it a rating between BS or actual science. BS or S. Yes. All yeah. right. <laughs> what you you're going for science? Yeah, I'm going for science. Good. All right, a you can stay on the show then. <laughs> um, so let's let's kind of transition to some more topical news. Star Wars came out yesterday. That'll give you a hint as to when this was recorded. No spoilers, Ryan. No spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. So currently, I'm the only one at this table who has uh, viewed it. Um, so, what we could do is talk about ships and these things. Like, well, it's it's a good transition talking about what is potentially an uh, invading alien spaceship. To yeah, ideas in alien spaceships. So the let's let's go for kind of the extreme end. Um, in in this case, let's talk about the uh, largest ship Star Wars has ever talked about. Where we'll ignore the Death Star because I've had enough of that. I mean, how <laughs> many movies have been devoted to the Death Star? <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about the uh, Snoke's capital ship, the Supremacy, uh, a mega class star destroyer oh, that has a wingspan. Did you, oh, did you, did you get this from Wikipedia? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From Wikipedia. Wikipedia, yeah. Oh if you want to know the back, Wikipedia, if you want to know the backstory to every character who appears for half a frame of <laughs> every Star Wars yeah. movie, they will have an entire article dedicated to them and their backstory and it's good. how they interact with the main characters. And it, wow, oh, it's a tr- it's a real treasure trove. It is. Those communal Wikipedia sites are fantastic. Um, but anyway, this has a wingspan of sixty kilometers, so this is a a fairly decently sized ship. Um, and, you know, the, the question that you should kind of start asking is, uh, is this feasible? What do we think? What are those dimensions again? 60 so kilometers wingspan. 60 kilometers Ooh, wide. That's a big ship. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's far bigger than Canberra. Yeah. 
but I mean, that's not saying much, though. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and uh, I guess it would be about like maybe ten kilometers tall, just from yeah. from the movie, maybe yeah. a kilometer. Or so. so the the reason why we're kind of pausing for thought here is we're get, getting into the issues of just coming up with arbitrarily big things yeah. and then you start to run into issues uh, especially it runs into the biggest problems with things like Godzilla and other big animals oh, yeah. but just yeah, right. big stuff in general in that if you want to scale up something that you know exists um, so you double its its length um, of course you then run into a problem of that its volume goes up by that length um, magnitude cubed thank you <laughs> Rob was on yeah. the correction so Rob do you want to talk a bit about how that works as our resident mathematician um there's not much else to say you're <laughs> absolutely right the volume so scales by I'll cube so the weight scales by cube so yeah so I'll, I'll just add on to that you may notice animals near colder climates appear quite fat and fluffy and there's a reason for that is because of the relationship we're just talking about and more to do with surface area i guess so surface area goes up with uh, the radius squared, whereas volume goes up with cubed. Uh-huh. So the, the fatter something is, the less surface area to volume it has. So that means the less surface area there is for heat to escape. Mm. Oh, right. So big, fat, fluffy things have a mathematical purpose. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's as far as... Way, that's way a, to ruin cute animals. Why did you bring maths into it? <laughs> But, yeah, the, the point is then that if you have a really big thing, you scale up, I don't know, a boat, and you're like, okay, let's make it a, a you know, a 60-kilometer-long mm. boat and keep everything in the same proportions. Um, the issue then is that your density is going up by that scaling factor cubed, yeah. and then the amount of material is also increasing by that yeah, amount right. cubed. Um, so depending on how big you get, if it's something in a gravitational field, then it can no longer support its own weight as in you end up hitting structural issues mm. yeah. and then in space you could even get up to things as stupid as self like if it's going to start gra- self-gravitating exactly yeah. so the difference say between an asteroid and a planet that once it gets big enough the gravity starts to move oh, right. the rocks around yeah right so that's why asteroids can either look potato or even yeah. cigar shaped um, hmm. as we just found out but that once it gets big enough it starts to pull itself into a sphere so if your wingspan's too long the ship's going to Curve. Or just yeah. kind of crumple in on itself. Oh, right. Real ships have curves. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that's, that's all well and good. Uh, ships, we'll say, can be that big. I mean, this is the same universe that had a planet that sucked up a star and shot a laser through hyperspace. <laughs> um, mm. <laughs> but the main thing with traveling through space is how fast can you go? Is there anything where you can actually go reasonably fast? So in Star Wars, they get around this by saying, oh, we just have a fast and live drive. Um, there's not really much thought put into it, um, which is fine. I mean, it's a, um, it's a sci-fi. They rarely ever have much thought put into them, how they travel. Um, but there is one sci-fi which kind of attempts to put some thought into it. Oh, oh no. Here we it's, go. Oh, here. <laughs> and I'm, of course, talking about this is Star Trek. <laughs> So the reason why Ryan's getting a bit embarrassed here is because <laughs> even amongst astronomers, a crowd who you'd think would be pretty nerdy, Very he's Star Trek a, friendly. He's managed to clear a room <laughs> <laughs> once there, he started his Star no, Trek it's, it's rambles. Not, it's not been that bad before. It's it's just clearing a good group of maybe ten people. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's better. <laughs> um, but anyway, so to give you a sense of scale, um, the biggest ship that the Federation has, so that's kind of the Earth faction and Star Trek, uh, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, uh, so that's the one of Picard's era and Next Generation, that's about 600 meters long. So just over half a kilometer, and that's that's a fairly big ship. But compare that to the Supremacy, which yeah, is nothing. 60 kilometers wingspan. Wow. <laughs> it's like not even... That's a tenth, in fact. Yeah, well done. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Quick match. <Yeah. laughs> so... You know, the the Supremacy is a ludicrously uh, big ship. But so we're talking about propulsion. Um, so in Star Trek, they, they, also, they talk about a warp drive an awful lot. And this is quite interesting because um, what the warp drive does is it effectively warps space and creates a little bubble for the ship to travel in. So they kind of actually have a somewhat realistic way to travel faster than the speed of light. And there is, there's actually been a lot of theoretical thought to this. Um, it's called the Albuquerque Drive. So this is a drive which warps space around you uh, to make it so that the local space you're in doesn't actually move. But the space around <laughs> your local space is forcing you through <laughs> space by contracting in front of you and expanding behind you. Now, <laughs> so this, if this is sounding totally, totally messed up, because it, it is a little bit, but actually it, it comes back to the fundamental realisation of Einstein and his work on general relativity, mm. um, which gave us the idea that space can curve, that real space has curves as well, yeah. mm -hmm. and that anything with mass curves space-time. Um, and that, that's how we get the effects of gravity. It's how we get the effects mm. of um, special and general relativity, all the weird stuff that goes along with that. But mm. it's from this fun fundamental realization that you can bend and stretch space. Um, and then more recently, um, an active area of research has been into this weird thing called dark energy, mm. which Ugh. is um, there's still, I will say, because <laughs> those disgruntled yes. grunts you just heard, uh, because there's still some pretty crazy ideas, even the ideas being debated amongst astronomers, and mm. it's a pretty contentious issue depending on who you speak to. Well, there was just a paper that came out this morning that <laughs> cast some shadows on it. I won't go into it further, but, um, but it's uh, I, interesting. Yeah, a common idea, um, and it's to explain the fact and um, the finding of our, our dear Vice Chancellor Brian Schmidt and his Lord Brian Schmidt, Lord, <laughs> Overlord Brian Schmidt. Um, and his co-winners of the 2011 Nobel Prize, that the expansion of the universe is accelerating. So it's this idea that space is expanding that was already observed by Edwin Hubble, mm. um, but actually that, accelerate, that, ex that expansion is getting faster somehow. There's something mm. making that expansion rate go faster the further, up, the further away we look. At least it um, appears to be that way. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so one idea is that if you, in Einstein's equations, if you give a vacuum, some empty space, some amount of energy. And people like Lawrence Krauss um, argue quite strongly for this. That, Despite that, the 10 to the power of 120 discrepancy. Yeah, there are, there are issues around it. But there's this idea that if somehow, um, for, through whatever mechanism, that you give um, empty space some amount of energy, you end up getting this sort of anti-gravitational effect where mm. you'll get an effective push and that 
is caused by the expansion of the space. That putting energy into empty space makes it get bigger, mm. and it, it would, and it therefore accounts by for that acceleration. So, this idea of being able to add in space and stretch space is mm. something that's in the in the minds of physicists already. It's already yeah. how we explain expansion and possibly the accelerated expansion. But that's well, still it's, you can it's a it's, uh, it's even more basic than that. You can just think of a mass moving through space. It contracts the space that it crosses over, and then once the mass has moved on, that space kind of relaxes back to how it was before. Yeah. So this uh, contraction and expansion is actually a pretty common um, idea in physics. And so there, there's been serious works I mentioned on the idea of this Albuquerque drive. Um, and for a while, they were stuck... Um, it's like completely out of the realms of possibility because the amount of energy required is just unfeasible. But a few years ago, uh, a group of theoretical physicists realized if you, instead of make, making the warp bubble around you spherical and made it more of a, um, an egg or rugby ball type of shape. Um, sorry, ellipsoidal. My, ellipsoidal, there we go. <laughs> um, the energy required to maintain that bubble uh, would... B, the effective mass of Jupiter converted to energy. So it's still an incredible amount of energy. So, so we still yeah. need a Death Star. Or something yeah, like yeah. That. But it, it's it's a reasonable. It's a yeah. it's a possible fathomable. Amount, say yeah, it's a fathomable amount of energy. But yeah. then, Just let me let me get to this this other point. So so imagine you're in your um, you're in your enterprise. You're traveling along. You're Space is all warped around, and you're going super quick. Um, your uh, things coming at you will be going uh, fairly fast, even though, well, once it ends your bubble, it might not be such a problem. But there's a problem in that stuff will kind of accumulate around your bent space. All right. And the moment you turn off your Albuquerque drive, you effectively create one of the greatest death rays the universe would ever see because all the stuff that's been kind of being pushed along and held mm. in place by this space you're messing up traveling at whatever times the speed of light you want uh, just kind of gets released and it goes about its merry business uh, so suppose you're jumping from uh, some planet around alpha centauri coming back home to earth uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, it, it might not go down so well. <laughs> yeah, it might just you vaporize all your friends yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you come to visit. Yeah. Oh, we, should, we, we should probably mention the, the the reason why this kind of allows you to go faster than the speed of light, which uh, one of the things that was what the basis of Einstein's ideas is that speed of light is the maximum speed you can go at, is that you're kind of not actually moving that fast. You're effectively staying stationary mm. and you're pulling space around you faster than light, which is totally allowed within... And in fact, it happens in our yeah. universe. Yeah. So if you look at very far away galaxies, they're effectively moving faster than the speed of light. Effectively. But yeah. yeah. They're, you know, they're heavy air quotes here because they're not really moving at all. It's just there's so much space expanding between you and that object that it effectively looks like... It's moving that quickly. Yeah. And just to kind of add to that point as well, I just did a quick back of the envelope calculation. So mm. imagine if our interloper we were talking about earlier was mm. an um, alien spaceship. So traveling uh, 70 kilometers per second. Mm. Um, 
if you wanted to travel one light year, so bear in mind that the closest star to our sun is four and a half or roughly four yeah. light years away, it would take 352 million years wow. for it to reach us. Mm. That's, That's not a, a short time. time. No. Um, so th- if you want to get anywhere in space, you, we need to start thinking about ways to travel faster than the speed of light, which is yeah. why it's so, so often it's just kind of like, in sci-fi, it's, oh, yeah, we can travel faster. So that's how people yeah. get around the galaxy. Otherwise, it's just going to take a pretty boring movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you'd end up with something like uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah, take hours. Mm. <laughs> um, so there is one propulsion method that humanity's come up with, which might get you going pretty quick, or at least mm. close to the speed of light. So we'll, we'll traipse back into the land of reality now. Um, the... Have have either of you heard about the Orion project? I've not. I have not. I not don't. the modern one where they're trying to like redirect asteroids and all that kind of stuff. The the original Orion project was kind of in the heyday of NASA. Once they had landed on the moon, Mars was next, you know, on to the stars. And then the funding got cut. Trump's trying to revitalize it, isn't he? Yeah, that that'll be interesting. Um but I have more faith in Musk at this point in time, <laughs> which may be mis uh, misplaced. We'll see. Um, but the Orion Project was po- is possibly the best idea ever thought of um, of how to use uh, nuclear weapons. So the idea is you have a spaceship floating in space, well away from the Earth, and you just start detonating <laughs> nuclear warheads behind <laughs> it. The nuclear warheads are big explosions. Um, so if you have like a casing around the explosion, which kind of funnels it and directs it. You can imagine it like just excessive uh, solid rocket boosters. Yeah. Just set them going, you're, you're off. Um, and it was thought that they could probably get to around 10% the speed of light quite quickly with this kind of thing. But there was a treaty which was uh, developed by the United Nations and, and the, the likes, which said that nuclear weapons shall not be used in space. So that idea died quite quickly after that. But if you're using it for propulsion, it's no longer a weapon, right? Yeah, well, that, that could be a good argument for it. I'm, I'm sure the project died for other reasons. Um, yeah, I can't imagine it'd be a particularly uh, safe trip no. for humans. So <laughs> no, for your one, radiation the, shielding ra- would need to be excessive. <laughs> the amount of radiation you'd experience, not to mention the sheer acceleration of sitting oh, on yeah. top of a atomic bomb Ooh, going fun. off. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be You'd squished get pretty quickly. Quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It'd be too bad if, you know, you just it's, if we've sent blood puddles to another <laughs> star. <laughs> oh, that's what you want, a colony of blood <laughs> goop just landing on the planet. I mean, bacteria would survive. I mean, there is a similar thing. Uh, we And we talked about this last time, but the breakthrough star shot and mm. sent blasting lasers at the little bits of foil effectively to try and accelerate mm. them to closer speed of light. It's a similar idea, but in that case, trying to be far more economical than and far less uh, potentially hazardous. Mm. You know. So that's that's uh, space travel. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, we don't know if this, our little interloper. Oumuamua. Yeah, that one. Good thing we brought Rob on, otherwise <laughs> yeah. this would have been tra- tragic. You've been uh, to Hawaii and everything. Yeah, I've just, yeah. Oh, man, that's appalling. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's just up to 
finding more of these things and trying to work out where they come from. Um, and on the side of uh, spaceships and space travel, it just needs more research. But I, it's an incredibly difficult problem to try and overcome. Oh. The, yeah. the sheer times and distances involved just become mm. very d- tricky very, very quickly. You're yep. fighting against the universe pretty yeah. much. Uh, so we might as well wrap this up. Um, I'm not really sure if there's anything we can cast judgment on. I mean, like, Star Wars? Oh, that's BS for sure, especially oh. the new ones. Oh, <laughs> bold opinions. Wow, hasn't even seen it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you, Rob? Star Wars? Brilliant. Okay. All of them. <laughs> the, f- the, first two and, the first two and a half are great movies. Even Attack of the Clones. <laughs> uh, oh, he's a true believer. Yeah. I, uh, Star the Trek, company. I'll just skip over that because that's complete science. It's a documentary of the future. So a Muamua is not an alien? I would say no. If no. it is an alien, it probably needs saving. Right. But watch wow. the space because we hopefully will have more follow-up as to exactly yeah. how this object is formed and how it's traveling around, but still work in progress on that right. one. Mm. So, again, it's a good case of science in action in the public theater. So yeah. uh, you can follow along and see how this idea develops over time. Just not on the Daily Mail. Yeah, <laughs> avoid that unless you want to have a laugh. <laughs> Although I must say the comments on that article were rather respectful. I was hoping to find some juicy ones, but I didn't. Oh, disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's a, it for this podcast, which was, of course, brought to you by the very kind and generous people at the Centre for Public Awareness of Science at the Australian National University. I'm Ryan. I'm Alec. And I'm Rob. And thank you for listening.